Please open your Bibles to John chapter 17. John 13 through 17 provides us with this passage in John's gospel, which is unique, not found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It is the extended conversations of Jesus and his disciples in the upper room on the night before he is betrayed. And after the events and the discussions of chapters 13 through 16, we come to John 17, and here we find what could probably most, most, uh, most appropriately be called the Lord's Prayer, because it is here that Jesus prays. Verses 1 through 5, he will pray for himself. In verses 6 through 19, he will pray for his disciples. And then in verses 20 through 26, he will pray for people like you and me. He will pray for those who come to a saving knowledge of faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior and their King. And they come to that faith because of the testimony of the apostles. But we began last week to look at this prayer, and we looked at verses 1 through 5, or at least we looked at one word in verse 1, and that was Jesus praying to the Father. But let me read for you this morning verses 1 through 5 as we continue to focus upon this first portion of our Lord's prayer in the upper room on the night before he was betrayed. Jesus, uh, when Jesus had spoken these words, the words of chapters 13 through 16, when he had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Pray with me. Father, as we now turn our attention once more to your word, and as we, uh, as we attempt to mine the depths of our Lord's own prayer, this prayer, this extended prayer, recorded for us here in the 17th chapter of John's gospel. Father, may it, may it instruct us, may it uh, encourage us, may it, may it serve for us uh, as an example of how we should pray. Father, may it show us Jesus, and may we this morning see His glory. May we see the awesomeness of his splendor. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.
When you, um, when you walk out the front door of our home, you're facing door, due east. And yesterday morning, as Linda's sister and brother-in-law were leaving our home uh, to go to the airport, um, as we stepped out the door, uh, we were just awed uh, by the splendor of a glorious sunrise. Aren't those interesting words that we use? I, I use those words, and all of you sit there, and you know what I mean. I mean, we were awed by the splendor of a glorious sunrise. I mean, why do we use such words? I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I, I doubt that my dog. I know I'm always picking on my dog, but I doubt that my dog is is ever awed by the splendor of a glorious sunrise. I, I don't think he ever steps out of doors, looks up and goes, woof! You know, I just don't think it impacts, well, he does actually do that, but I don't think, I don't think it's because he's impacted by the sunrise. But, but we do that. I mean, whether we're believers or whether we're unbelievers, we see the, uh, the beauty of a sunrise, we see the beauty of a sunset, and there is a sense of awe. Well, the psalmist tells us why. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 19 and verse 1, it's because the heavens declare the glory of God. Glory. I am, not, I am not ashamed to tell you that I have spent the last four or five days trying to get my arms around this word that we use so easily we use so often, especially within a, a church context, this word glory. Well, what does that mean? What do we mean when we use this, this word? The word, the English word glory, the English word glory is a translation of the Greek word doxa. D-O-X-A, in, to put it into English letters, doxa. Now think about that, doxa. Doxa, from that word doxa, we derive our word doxology. What is a doxology? A doxology is words spoken in praise and in honor and in adoration of that which is glorious. We offer words of doxology, of praise, of honor, of adoration to the Lord because He is glorious. That's why we find, that's why we find a sunset, that's why we find the splendor of a sunset or, the, or of a sunrise. That's why we find it glorious. 
That's why we're awed, because whether or not we realize it, the reason we find it the, the splendor of that sunrise, of that, of that sunset, the reason we find it glorious is because it produces an, in us a sense of awe because it is declaring to us. The psalmist says, in a language that is understood throughout all the earth, it is declaring to us the glory of our Creator. Kings robe themselves in a glorious manner, in glorious clothing, in order to provoke within their subjects a sense of wonder and awe. But their robes, they fade, they, they tatter. It is only God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one by whom and for whom we were made, who is truly glorious and whose glory, the splendor in which he is clothed, is eternal and it is unfading, an eternal and unfading splendor and majesty. In the Scripture and in our own lives, whenever the Lord in a special way, makes himself known to us. He is revealing to us his glory, and his people are awed. After the children of Israel are delivered through the divided waters of the Red Sea, they're brought safely over on the other side, and they see their pursuing enemy perish as those waters return together, as they reach those eastern shores. They sing. And what do they sing? This is what they sing in Exodus 15. They sing, who is like you, O Lord? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. The Lord reveals himself to the prophet, to Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah is awed. He's awed as he hears the seraph sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth. The whole earth is full of his glory. And when John in Revelation is shown the, the heavenly courtroom, he listens in awe as the angels sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now, I take the time to deal with all of that, to talk about this whole idea of glory. Because here in John chapter 17, verse 1, it's what Jesus praise for. Look at John 17, 1. Jesus prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. Now, you know, it's possible for us to read that and to think that that sounds a little self-serving. Lord, Glorify me. I mean, who of you would dare pray that? 
Here's Jesus. And the one petition in this whole prayer, the one petition he brings to the Lord concerning himself is glorify your son. It sounds a little self-serving, but it isn't. For as Jesus prays, Jesus knows. It's right there in verse 1. Jesus knows that the hour has come. He knows the hour has come when he will accomplish the purpose for which the Father sent him into the world. It is the hour, it is the moment in time when he will be betrayed and when he will be arrested and he will be tried for heresy and then he will be crucified. And that is part of what he's praying for when he asks for God to glorify him. But Jesus also knows, as he lays his petition before his Father, that this hour, this moment in human history, will not end with his death. He knows that during this final hour, these final days of his earthly ministry, he will rise from the dead, victorious over sin and the grave. Look at verse 5. Jesus, as he prays, He knows that when this this final hour, these final days end, he knows that the Father will restore to him the glory that was his. Look at it. The Father will restore to him the glory that was his before the world existed. I mean, we are dealing with deep mystery. Deep, deep mystery. Jesus prays. He prays asking and knowing. Jesus prays asking and knowing that his Father's will will be done. Jesus prays knowing that what he asks for, now glorify your Son, and the Father will through the events that lie ahead, and restore to me the glory that was mine with you before the world existed. Jesus knows that that for which he prays is the Father's will. He prays, asking and knowing that his Father's will will be done. But remember, just remember that for Jesus to ask and to know that his Father's will be done He knows that his Father's will includes not just the restoration of his glory, that glory which Jesus laid aside when he humbled himself to become a man. He knows that the Father's will includes not just the restoration of his glory, he also knows that his Father's will 
that for which he prays. He knows that that for which he prays. He prays for his Father's will to be done, and he knows that his Father's will will include him suffering, the humiliation, and the horror of death by crucifixion. And yet, knowing his Father's will, knowing not just the glory, but the pain and the suffering and the trial and the hurt, he prays that his Father's will be done. That is incredibly instructive to me. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, what? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus is praying here in John 17. Father, your will be done. Now, why would Jesus pray? Why? I mean, is this not for us the great mystery of prayer? Why would Jesus pray asking the Father to do what he knows full well the Father will do? Is that not the great mystery of prayer? Why does Jesus pray asking the Father to do what he knows full well the Father will do? Why should you pray that the Father's will be done when you know full well that his will will be done? And yet, That is how Jesus taught us to pray. We should pray as Jesus prayed. What is Jesus' prayer here in John 17? Is it not a prayer of committal? Is it not a prayer of committal? Is Is it not a prayer of committal to the Father's will? You see... I, I, I will not pretend that, that I have some, you know, complete grasp of this whole issue. But from how Jesus instructs us to pray, how Jesus models for us pray, prayer, I suggest that, that our prayer should, should sound at least, you know, something like this. I, I, I don't mean using these words. I mean these thoughts should be in our prayer. Father, I speak to you as your child. I speak to you 
I speak to, to, to you as, as a loving and, and caring father. I speak to you about my concerns and my, my worries and, and my desires. I know that you take delight in my speaking with you. I know that you hear me. I know that you love me. I trust you fully, O oh Lord. Therefore, I speak with you. I speak with you as a child, speaking to a loving father. And as I speak to you, oh God, I rest in your sovereign purposes. And therefore, Father, as your child, I set before you the things that are on my heart. And I set them before you, fully committed, fully committed to having you accomplish in my life your holy will because I believe that even though my thoughts may not always be your thoughts and your ways may not always be my ways I believe that your purposes are yea and amen hard to pray that way. The burning desires of our heart are so hot within us. Sometimes it's hard to cool them enough to submit ourselves to trust in our Lord's sovereign purposes. So are we are we to pray that are we to pray that someone we love who is sick, are we to pray that they get well? Of course we are to pray that they get well. Of course we are to bring that before the Lord. Of course we are to lay it at his feet. We are to bring all of our concerns, all of our anxieties to the Lord and lay them at his feet. And then and then we are to trust in his love for us, his perfect love for us, that in and through the circumstances of our lives, he will accomplish that which is best, that which is good. Look again at verse 1. Jesus asks the Father to glorify the Son, to glorify Him. 
What will be Jesus' glory? His glory will be to do the Father's will. He's able to say, for example, uh, in verse 4, I glorified you on earth. How did he glorify God on earth? Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. You know the story in John chapter 4 where Jesus carries on this extended conversation with a Samaritan woman as the disciples go into the village to try and find some lunch. And when the disciples return, they're concerned because Jesus hasn't yet eaten lunch. And when they offer him food, Jesus tells them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then in response to their confusion, he tells them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Food's important. Food's essential. For some of us, it's far too essential. But it is essential. It is important. What is important to you? Jesus, here, have some lunch. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. What's he talking about? My food is to do the will of my Father who sent me. What's your food? Jesus prays, glorify the Son, which, yes, will will result in the end with Jesus receiving back the glory that was his with the Father before the world existed, that glory that was his before he laid it aside to humble himself to become a man. And why did he humble himself to become a man? He humbled himself to become a man so that he could live a sinless life. And then having no sin of his own, take your sin upon him. Bear your sin to Calvary. Pay the penalty for your transgressions. He knows the will of the Father for his life is to suffer the horror of crucifixion, not just simply the horror of the, of the physical torment, but the horror of that moment in time when the Father will turn his back upon the Son because the Son is bearing the sins of the world. But Jesus prays, glorify me. Why? Why? Look at verse 1. Why? So that I might glorify you. Do in my life that which is glorious. Glorious why? Because it glorifies you. Glorious why? Because it resounds to your glory and to your honor into your praise. Is that the burning passion of your life? You go to the Lord in prayer. I know. I've been there 
10,000 times before you. You go to the Lord in prayer, and what do you do? You go with this list, the shopping list. Does the Lord care about your list? Yes. Mercifully, graciously, he does. You know, he's not like the worst of human fathers or like a human father such as myself to which my child comes and says, Daddy, I... No! Don't even ask. You know the answer to that question before you even bring it up. Of course, I never spoke to my children that way, but... Lord never does that. He never does that. He never does that. But as you bring to him that list, is the burning passion of your heart that he be glorified. That he be glorified. That he work in and through you to glorify himself and therefore through you to bless others. To bless others how? To bless others by through you, through your words, through your actions, through your attitudes, through your deeds, to bless others that they might gain at least a reflection, at least a glimpse of who this God is that you serve. That's what Jesus is praying. Glorify your Son, that he may glorify you. I have glorified you on earth. How? By doing the work that you gave me to do. What is the work that God has given you to do? I don't know specifically what that work might be. But God is not going to hide it from you. Knowing the will of God for your life, as you seek to know the will of God for your life, you're not dealing with the God who says, I'm going to hide it and see if you can find it. I mean, it's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. What do you mean it's not that complicated? I mean, it's not that complicated. He's given you 66 books of Scripture that first of all say to you, this is how you shall live. You want to know the will of God for your life? Begin with the lamp that he's given to enlighten your path. I mean, if you, if you don't care about the lamp that he's given to enlighten your path, then don't talk to me about how concerned you are to know the will of God for your life. Knowing the will of God for your life begins with taking that lamp Letting that lamp blaze brightly upon your life and upon the path that lays before you. Do his will. Live as he would have you to live. Live as an image bearer of him. And then just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I promise you, I, I, I promise you, if you desire to do the Lord's will for your life, he's going to make that will perfectly known. 
It's not going to be some deep, dark secret. You say, but there are options. Then make a choice. Walk, you know, don't go, if I walk through the wrong door, everything. Not if you desire to please the Lord, it's not. I mean, you may have to walk back out of that door and go through a different one. But there will have been something important about you going through that particular door. Do something. Don't sit around musing. I wonder what God would have me to do for the next 40, 50, 60 years. I wonder what he wants you to do in the next 30 seconds. Just do it. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll make it clear to you. And at this particular moment in our history as a church, so what's God's will for us? What's the future going to look like? If what we desire above all else is to glorify God, to be a body of people who glorify God that he can use to glorify himself and to bless others, things will be fine. Well, are things going to be perfect? Of course not, because they've never been perfect. Don't talk about the good old days. They weren't all that good. All you remember is the good, I hope. I know some of you have a list. I hope you don't share that list with me. I know that. I know that. But what do we want for the future? We want to find absolutely the perfect man to become the next senior pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church. He doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. There are no perfect men. You know that. You know that. There are no perfect men. There are no perfect senior pastors. But this is the bottom line. If what we want is to glorify God, then He will direct our paths. And not all of our decisions will always be perfect but he will use each one of them to continue to shape us and to make us into image bearers of him. And all we can ever ask for, all we can ever ask for is not, I hope they find that senior pastor who meets all my expectations. I hope they find that senior pastor 
who meets all my needs. I hope they find that senior pastor who finally, I can finally have a senior pastor who understands me. Why don't you just put impossible expectations upon this man? What we want is that man who will continue to show us how we best can glorify God and be used of God to bless others. And that's what Jesus prays for in regards to himself. Father, glorify me. May I do those things that you have sent me here to do so that you might be glorified. And as we'll see next week in verse 3, so that you might be glorified and so that through me others might be blessed. Father, send us that man who will teach us how to glorify you so that you might use us to bless others to the glory, to the praise, to the adoration of your splendor and of your majesty. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. We're not here to have our backs scratched. We're here to serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, teach us these truths and prepare us, O Father. Prepare us, O Lord, for that which that lies ahead. Prepare us, O Lord. Prepare us, O Lord, by kindling within us a fire that desires above all else that you be glorified, that whatever the future may bring, that you be glorified, that however you work out our destinies, that you work through us, glorify yourself and to bless others. In these things we pray in Christ's name, amen.